0: Numbers, chapter 9, can <clears> Can't <throat> you read from verse 15, first of all, and then from chapter 10, just a few verses right at the end. Numbers, chapter 9, verse 15. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, was set up. The cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order, and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whenever by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whenever the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, or a month, or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp, and not set out, but when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command they encamped, and at the Lord's command they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. Chapter 10, verse 33. So they set out from the mountain of the Lord, and travelled for three days. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered, may your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Over recent weeks, we've been looking at the whole subject of the presence of God. We saw how Adam lost it. We, we, we saw how Enoch found a measure of it in a new way. And we saw how it shone around Moses when he was on the Mount Sinai and asked the Lord to show him his glory and he just was allowed to see the fading rear parts, as it were. And we saw the Lord reveal himself as the Lord the great, the compassionate, just un- disclosing his heart in Exodus 33. Quite, quite a mag- magnificent chapter. And we, we saw then in Exodus 33 how that the, 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 this, this cloud was over the tabernacle. Remember, and Moses parked, if that's the word, if that's what you do with the tabernacle, he, he parked the tabernacle outside of the, outside of the camp And whenever he went to meet with the Lord, he walked out of the camp to the tabernacle, and it says that everybody stood in the door, right? Remember? Watching, seeing that God was meeting with Moses, when his presence was there. And you have that incident when God's a little bit miffed, if that's how you can talk of the Almighty, uh, a little bit annoyed with his people and say, I can't go with you anymore. And and, and they have that plea of Moses, you must go with us. We, We can't go on if you don't go with us. And I want us to think about that this morning, in the context of the verses that we've read. This indispensable presence of God in my life. This indispensable presence of God in my life. You see, once they'd gone through the Red Sea, remember? And uh, God had parted the waters, which, were, this is not as if you've been told, you know, it, but it, if it was the Yam Suf and the water was only three inches deep, it was the biggest miracle recorded in the Bible. Because how you can drown an army of Egyptians in chariots in four inches of water is, is, is a remarkable event. I, I don't actually believe that the account describes it like that. It was at a point, they came to the Red Sea at a point where the water was deep, and God opened a way through the water so that the people went across dry shod. When they got to the other side, that uh, they, the waters came together again and the Egyptians perished. And it was called the Passover. And from the time that they crossed over the Red Sea, the Passover, from that time onwards, the, the pillar, this cloud, this cloud arrangement, went before them. And it's now in the verses that we've read, um, a year later, we're told that in chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the desert in the first month of the second year after they came out of Egypt. So it's a year on. It's the time of the second Passover. That, uh, that's how it's described in Exodus 42, that they were going to keep a celebration of the Passover, Red Sea. And so we come here now to the point where it's time to set off. Here are God's people, and they're going to move from Sinai, and they're heading for the Promised Land. The, the, the spies came back, and, and two of them gave a good report about Canaan about the land that God was going to give them. They, they, they were down in, in the Arabian desert. This was not their home. They'd come out of Egypt. That was not their home. They were heading for a place that was their home, this land known as Canaan. It's a great picture, isn't it? Someone said that they, they went into Egypt to family and came out a nation. It's true. But that there was something that was happening here from Sinai onwards in which God's people had a new dimension as a people, as a nation, as God's people together. Now, what was the distinctive of being God's people? What, what, what was it? Well, not difficult to answer after what I've said. What was the one thing that was uniquely special? What marked them out? If you were a travel agent in the second millennia B.C., what would it be that would distinguish this tribe of nomadic peoples wandering around the desert from all the others? What was special about them? Were their camels a different color? Did they have different shaped tents? Was it a question of language? Well, no, absolutely not. That There was something most unusual about this tribe. And there were nomadic peoples moving around the desert all the time, let's be clear. But here was a very large company of people. But it wasn't the people that was unusual. It was this thing by this large tent or this this pillar of cloud, this fire at night that moved in front of... That's what distinguished these people from all others on the face of the earth. The thing that marks us out as God's people is God's presence. That's not to minimise all the other things that make us special. But the thing beyond any other that distinguishes you from others who are not the Lord's people is the presence of God with you. You can actually dispense with practically everything else. But the thing most important about us is the presence of God. Now let's look at it in in these verses in Numbers chapter 9. First of all, God's presence to guide us. That We're told in Exodus 40 that uh, the tent that Moses pitched, his tent it was described as, his tent which he pitched outside the camp, that that tent of meeting, Exodus 40 says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, which is the one Moses had, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle so that Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Exodus 40, verse 2, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. So the tent of meeting originally was Moses' tent in which he talked with God. And then the arrangement came that the ark of the covenant was to be put into the tent of meeting. And at that point, it becomes tabernacle, becomes the place where God's glory is said to dwell with some measure of permanence. Moses, in that, in that verse in Exodus 40, is overwhelmed with the glory. Of, it's wonderful, isn't it? Just that sheer impact of the presence of God. I've only known that of a measure. And, and, and I must say, too infrequently in my life. And, but there have been occasions when the presence of God has been awesome. I, I must say, do cherish those times. I know there are many, many times when you think, well, oh, that God would come like that. Yes, I know, I'm in the same boat. But there are times when God comes like that. They are times of extreme value, and they are precious to us. We must treat them so. And he came with this cloud, this visible token. I I don't know what, what cloud, was it H2O? What was it? I really don't know. I know that when it went dark as with smoke on a fire, you know, you. Uh, have you uh, we've all probably seen it on bonfire night where the fire's died down and all you can see still there's a measure of daylight well, on a different fire in the garden and all you can see is smoke. It's true, isn't it? And then it goes dark. You can't see the smoke but you can see the fire. Well, there was something like that about it. When it was dark, you couldn't see the pillar of cloud but you could see through in the dark what you couldn't see in the daytime. This this pillar of God's presence with them. A brightness to show his majesty and a darkness to shroud his glory. Solomon, when he was talking about the presence of God in the temple, said, O Lord, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud so that that things are kept from us that would otherwise overwhelm us. Uh, And this this pillar, uh, it it was said there, I think, at the end in chapter 10, that the, that the pillar went ahead to find them a place to rest. In Deuteronomy, it says this: Deuteronomy 133: the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey by fire, but in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp. There's a lovely picture. That God acted as a kind of a scout, right? And he went to search out somewhere for us to dwell. Aren't you glad that God goes ahead of his people to find a right place for us? And some of us have steps and journeys ahead of us. that We're uncertain. Michael and Anne, who I owe an apology to, but I'll do it at the end of the meeting, not now, that Michael and Anne are, are, are moving to Pakistan in the weeks ahead. Now, there are, there's much that we would, w- w- for them, would be very, very uncertain, very uncertain. But we do know, we can trust that God will go ahead of you to find a place for you to camp. Now that that's true for many of us when we stand on the threshold of uncertainty, isn't it? Haven't you been there? To know that God goes ahead of my time to look after and uh, to find a place for me there, that when they came out of Egypt, there was that occasion, remember, and, and all the chariots of, 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 um, of Egypt were charging up behind, them. and it says that the cloud, instead of being at the front of Israel, went round and stood at the back, right, protecting. And when the Egyptians came up to the cloud, they could proceed no further. And God's presence does that for us as well. And guiding us. They didn't need a map. They just need to follow. They didn't need to have the the route. If they had had the route planned out beforehand, they'd have scratched there and said, Lord, why are you taking us in such a zigzag? Because it was. He didn't take the straight route. God rarely does. Isn't it annoying? (laughs) Really? Because if you were God, you'd know a much, much better way to run your life. no? wouldn't you? Really? And there are times when it's obvious. You know, he must take me here, there, and there, and we're there. You could be in Canaan with all of your sheep in in, in a year at the most. But oh no, God doesn't work like that, does he? He doesn't take us the obvious ways. His ways are, are, are unknown to us. Oftentimes we struggle with them, which is why this passage about, you know, when he moves, you move. When he stays, stay put. There is an important principle for life here. When he moves... Move. When he stays, anchors
1: down. And at times it can be very difficult. There 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 are there will be times in all of our Christian lives
0: when we feel we've got to hurry God up a bit. Have you ever been impatient with God? Have you? I don't know why that dear woman had to wait fifty years married to a non Christian before he brought him to Christ? I don't know. But it's one of the hardest parts of our Christian life that God does not run on my time schedule. I have to learn to run on his. And sometimes, you know, when things are going quite difficult and you're frustrated, and uh, the whole situation is very trying, and you feel that God is very... T- and it, actually, he is very trying. He tries us on this whole issue of impatience. There are a number of occasions in the scripture where people couldn't wait for God. And after the spies had come back, you know, and some of them had given a good report, some of them had given a bad report, and uh, this, first of all, God said, okay, we'll go up. He said, oh, no, no, we'll go down. And then he said, okay, well, don't. He said, okay, we will. And off they went. And they got into all kinds of trouble. Do you remember that the dear old Saul, what a mess he made of a monarchy, hey? Eh? And uh, he, 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 he was waiting. Samuel said he would come, and he was by the time, t- and he wanted to offer, and so Samuel said he'd be there, and he wasn't there. Oh, blow Samuel, we'll get on with it. We'll do it. Couldn't wait. We do make a mess for ourselves when our impatience drives us forward. I have struggled here. There have been times when I have really, really messed up my walk with the Lord because I was impatient. God is a gardener,
1: not a magician. That's how he works. And equally, if God says go, it's not a time to drag your feet and mutter and say, well, it's not really convenient. It's a very telling picture. Because it's terrible without him. If he moves on and we don't, remember that picture in Ezekiel 40
0: of the presence of God rising up away from the temple and leaving the people of God because they were stubborn and stiff-necked and disobedient and God withdrew from his people. What a terrible picture. It's so important in our Christian life. It's rule number one. When you first come to Christ and you know the, 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 the presence of Jesus in your heart, we have to walk with his presence. It, it's the most important thing about living the Christian life is to walk with him. Isn't it? And yet we get so sophisticated, we get so much into our filofaxes and knowing exactly what's what and uh, we, we, we then get onto our own agenda and our own path. Taking time to quieten myself before God. So I know when he's going and I know when he's staying. it's It's the simplest thing. It's not a difficult thing. It's a matter of heart and attitude. Lord, here I am, there you are. Lead me or keep me where I am. And it's almost as if, and I'm sure this is the heart of it, as believers we have to learn the principle of doing that. We have to learn obedience. We have to learn to trust. We have to learn to be responsive and submitted. yeah, With, mom, with our master. He, we, when, when he became our master, when he became Lord of my life, and I, I used all the right words, and so did you. But then, once he's Lord of my life, to actually let him be so day by day. Because this is the key of it. Because if I'm not aware of his presence day by day, and then the big crisis comes, oh Lord, please lead me, that it's not insignificant to me that every morning Moses said, rise up, oh Lord. And every evening he said, Lord, oh Lord, return. There's a model there that will actually help us keep in tune and in touch with the presence of God. Walking with him in my life, so that he sets the pace and he sets the direction. The the whole principle of the pilgrim as Bunyan's Christian walking on to the celestial city, it's all in this. when, When he didn't walk with the Lord, he went off into Bypass Meadow. We've all wandered into Bypass Meadow, haven't we? Isn't it horrible to be in a place where you're really not sure at all as to whether the Lord is with you? that uncertainty, that something missing. And then when the Lord returns and restores your soul, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how naff a desert it is, as long as he's with me, as long as I know his presence. Do you agree? Can you see that? And therefore, how important it is to be responsive. need to agree some basic principles for life here. Lord, I want to move with you. Just bow your heads. I'll say it, you pray it. Lord, I want to move with you. I want to move when you move and I want to stay when you stay. I don't want to move ahead of you and I don't want to fall behind. I want to know that the pillar of cloud is with me.
1: Lord, help me to so order my life that that will be first priority for Jesus' sake. You see, the problem is, and it's here, with the Lord. If I may say one of my problems I
0: have with the Lord, sometimes, imagine it, we all like to know what's happening, don't we? Huh? And so you, you get there and you pitch your tent. Oh, that's fine. We'll be off tomorrow. Ah, don't knock it in too hard, Jimmy. We'll be off, Hezekiah. We'll be off tomorrow. Morning comes. He's not going. Oh, perhaps tomorrow. Be all right. Tomorrow. Have a day off. Relax. Eat the manna. Look for the quails. It's okay. Tomorrow comes. Sometimes, now hear this. Sometimes it was a year. A year. Can you imagine how irritated you would be by the end of a year? And yet, I was reading this morning in the Acts of the Apostles, the Lord Jesus appeared to Paul, appeared to him, right? And and eyeballed him, spoke to him as directly as this, and said, Paul, you've witnessed for me in Jerusalem, now you will witness for me in Rome. (gasps) Rome! Talk about a mission! And then you get to the end of the next chapter, and it's said that he rotted in Caesarea for two whole years with nothing happening. Isn't it difficult? Wouldn't that really get under your skin? Wouldn't you be saying, Lord, did you or did you not say that I would be in Rome? And the Lord just says, sometimes the pillar of fire Moves every day. Well, what an utter nuisance. Here we go again. Do you mind, Lord? We've already just got here. Oh, please, let's have a day off. And the cloud goes up. Huh? Day on day. Give us a break. Do you understand? And so that you have, we have to come in a place in our hearts where we're prepared to let the Lord take us that step. Time is going, but let me press on to the verses at the end of chapter 10.
1: Moses was excited every morning. He he
0: called out to the Lord, Arise, O Lord. Psalm 68 verse 1 says, May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. Psalm 132 verse 8, Arise, O Lord. Come to your resting place. You and the ark of your might. There was something daily in Moses' expectation. There was something of a thrill about it. I, I want to kind of, I want to seek to engender this thrill in your life. You know, every morning, as they pulled back the tent doors, there was the pillar. It must have been wonderful, don't you think? And if they were feeling a little bit insecure in the night, they only had to peep through the bit in the middle, and there was the flame. As I say, knowing the presence of God is so important. That's why when you get to chapter 11 and verse 1, straight after the verses that we just read, you know, the thing that wrecked it for them was grumbling. I have found that grumbling and the presence of God don't go together. There are times that I'm not, I'm I'm frustrated with people, I'm I'm beefing inside. You know, have you been there? Right? And and I'm just of sorts. And I'm right, of course. They're all wrong. And I come into the presence of God and I have nothing what to, or ever to do with it. And as long as I'm going to go on with my grumbling, the presence of God is nowhere to be found. When I humble myself and stop grumbling, the presence of God is restored. I have found that in my life to be without exception the way it is. And so often the times when I have, I have I have not known the presence of God for days and weeks are the times when I have allowed discontent to rest in here. One or two are nodding. That's okay, as long as you take the point. You see, we are the people of God. What was true then is just as true now. One Corinthians six nineteen says that Do you not know that you are God's temple? and that God's Spirit dwells in you. That it, he still guides us. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. That it, it was said of Nehemiah, Nehemiah looking back to the days in the wilderness, he said this, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manner from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the desert. Now, in the same way that God sustained his people and let his spirit be with them in those years, so he will today for you and me. He, he's not going to be more distant today when his spirit is in our hearts than he was then. That, uh, that in Galatians 5.25, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit.
1: Yeah? Keep in step with the spirit. This, this is a,
0: a place of revelation. I'm going to be speaking on spiritual gifts tonight. It's all part of the same package. Psalm 99, verse 7, He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept His statutes and the, and the decrees again. The, the presence of God is where He speaks to me. If I'm not kept in the presence of God, if, if His nearness is not something I guard zealously, however am I going to hear Him speak to me? However, will it be if I'm negligent, if if I'm careless in the present about the presence of God, and when I then do have a quiet time, that it will it will just for me it would be purely academic, and prayer would be very difficult. I have to know the presence of God, and it it all comes down really to how it, essential actually guarding my experience is. When you became a Christian. The Lord Jesus became personally real to you. Do you remember? Right? He, there was. It was really simple in those days, wasn't it? Because you didn't know all that you know now. You didn't get sophisticated, right? Jesus and you were real. He, he, he was your friend, like, wasn't he? And you talked to him in a simple, silly kind of way, didn't he? Do you know? He wants us to experience him continually. Now, I'm not trying to advocate one form of experience or another, but knowing him, feeling his assurance in my heart, feeling his strength, feeling his rejoicing, welling up within me, feeling his peace, knowing the, the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. See, it has to be more than theory for me. The Christian life is all about my experience of truth. It's not experience without truth, but it's more than something that's merely cerebral. Yeah? Theory. Uh, I'm a great believer in doctrine and beliefs and creeds. I hope you are. But being a Christian is far more than that. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer in church membership, you might be surprised to hear, and, and in you know, conforming to a Christian lifestyle. And enjoying a Christian community is important. But that's not all at all. Uh, My experience of God. Uh, David, come on. This is the 1990s. People don't have experiences of God today. Oh, yes, they do. And oh, yes, you can. And if you will seek him, you will surely...
1: If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, wrong wrong verse. He who has
0: my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There, There have been occasions in recent months and years when my experience of the Lord has been thin. And sometimes we do have to live our Christian life on an automatic pilot, and sometimes we have to walk by faith. That's absolutely right. Sometimes it's because of my sin, and sometimes it's because he's trying and testing and, and strengthening me by my resolve. But equally, there are to be times when I'm alone with my Lord, and he's real to me. Times of encounter, times of knowing him, times where he's being real. Do you know, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians chapter 10, let let me just read, don't don't open your Bible, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 4, but let me read this to you. And it explains what happened with this pillar in the wilderness. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud that all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. It was Jesus who walked in the cloud through the desert with his people. It was Jesus. It was Christ, pre-incarnate, the Son of God, manifested among his Old Testament people walking through the desert with them. Tell me, do you honestly believe if he walked through the desert with them he won't walk through the desert with you? He's pledged to be with you. My, my, my concern is that, and what I felt the Lord say to me is that we're walking through the desert and managing without him. He wants to be real. In my life, he wants a childlike enjoyment. I I can't read it all again, but those early verses in chapter nine—and I'm I'm no Hebrew literary scholar. What Hebrew I knew died long ago. But the the commentator tells me that this is elevated prose reflecting the excitement of the occasion. Now, one of the reasons when I was reading it, he's repeating himself. He was excited, right? God moves on, we move on. God stops, we stop. There's the fire, there's the cloud. God is with me. Christian, the Spirit of God is in your life. God is with you. The pillar of fire, when it moves, you move. When it stops, you stop. The presence of God is the most important, distinctive thing about you. It really is. And you say, oh, but David, I don't feel it. Seems that, well, just just a moment. Just trust him. He's nearer to you than you'd ever dream of. All that these verses are suggesting is that we just give him the time, give him the opportunity. You know, like, like Moses, if ever at the beginning of every day, let God arise. What a great practice. Oh, of course, you don't have to have a quiet time every day. No, no, all right. I'm quite sure. That if Moses, you know, oh, it's Tuesday. Don't fancy having a quiet time on Tuesday. Okay, Lord, you get up if you want to. No, it's wrong. It's wrong. How, how can I? How can Moses ever not? Right? And the man's excited. God is with him. His presence is real. He's there. There's the pillar. So every morning, he couldn't wait for it. He's like putting the flag up, you know. Arise, O oh Lord. Don't tell Moses it doesn't matter if he doesn't do it every day. The presence of God is so real to the man. He wants to do it every day. And at the end of the day, he says, return, O Lord. It's a thrill and a joy to the man. So as we break bread this morning, God wants you to experience his love and his presence again. David, God wants you to, to experience his love and his presence again he wants to lead me day by day he wants me to see the cloud come to him regularly get out of the habit of living a hectic rush with no time with a full schedule in a dry desert
1: and if you have never really known this god and you're sitting there and you're thinking
0: Oh well, gosh, I never—I re- thought this was religion. I didn't realize it worked. Look, let's pray. We're going to break bread together. We're going to remember, we're going to take a bread and a cup and remind ourselves of the grounds upon which the Lord Jesus made it possible for us to know him. If you've never known the Lord Jesus personally, Will you pray this prayer with me in the
1: quietness of your heart? Lord Jesus, clearly you come into the lives of people and live with them day by day. I want you to come into my life and live with me day by day. I want you to lead my
0: life. I want you to show me the way to go and when to go and when to stay. I
1: want you to rule in my life. I want you to cleanse me, forgive me, make me your child. Do it, Lord Jesus, this morning for your sake. And Lord, some of us just want to get back to that place where you are near again. Lord, it's always our fault. We always make a mess of it. We, We seem to walk with your presence so well and then we complicate things. As we break bread, Lord, and remember the lengths that you went to, to make us your own, will you renew our experience of you, Lord? Will you cause us to feel again? Some of us have not felt
0: your presence for such a long time. just in the the inner place
1: of our hearts, Lord, enable us to feel your love and your presence again. Take unbelief from us. Take willfulness from us. Take, Lord, our clutching to our agendas and our timescale from us and lead us by your presence. Lead me, Lord. Jesus' sake.